friends. This is another Corona Rama joint venture podcast between Footy Weekly and the London is Calling podcast. I am your host, Ryan Beck, aka Carlito Esposito, as aka Young Unsweetened, aka White Zinfandel. <laughs> coming to you large and in charge from the briny, acidic, foul smelling shores of the Great Salt Lake. I am joined as always by my fellas, my killers, my podcast terrorists. First up is Paulinho, the most handsome man in football fandom. What's cracking, baby cakes? Shabbat shalom, Carlito. Yeah, buddy. Getting another Corona Rama going up in this bitch. Next is the brother man. His skid tone says Islander, but his fake accent says Tulsa, Oklahoma. What's good, baby? I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. Fucking A you are. Next up is Stevie Scans. His mustache don't have to get ready if it always stays ready. What's good, baby? Dude, the mustache, I just brought it back again, and it is looking fine as hell. But I'm still kind of panicking because there's no sports, and I need something to do. Hey, you don't have to get ready if you always stay ready. Finally, we have Andrew Scanlon. His last name says Masshole. But his hair is one Jerry curl away from the Old Testament. How are we doing? <laughs> What's up, man? I'm going I'm to let you do your thing. Keep going. You will Just never top that fucking I can't. intro. I <laughs> Shabbat shalom indeed, my bros. All right, Paul. So we are picking up from our last Rona Rama. We thought it was an exceptional episode. We wanted to run it back. All five cats, all doing the damn thing. Had a week and a half to ruminate. We've got some new shit going down in the pipe, and we want to talk about it. Paul, what's first on the docket? All right, so we've had Spurs reverse uh, laying off their non-playing staff. That is the latest club uh, to reverse their initial ruling on that uh, following Liverpool. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Brother, we'll go with you first. Um, after Liverpool reversed their decision, Spurs had no choice but to do the same. Um, the Premier League clubs have enough money to sustain this crisis, and laying off the workers, the non-playing staff, who really don't make that much money to begin with, was a classless move. And it also sent uh, an indication to the fans that the clubs do not really care about the well-being of its supporters because most of the matchday staff are fans work in concession and things like that. The only consistent non-playing staff are groundsmen or stewards. So they had to reverse that decision after public pressure. And with Liverpool being mature enough to be like, we made a mistake, we're not going to do that, Spurs had to follow suit. So, brother, I'll have a counter question to that. You know, Spurs were riding really high last year. You know, they got beat by Liverpool in the final, but they had a really good run. So everybody had this really strong sense of optimism within the club, but everything is gravy when it's going well. When things start hitting the fan, you start to show you show your true colors and your true character. Do you feel like everybody outside of the Spurs universe knew that deep down the ownership group was a bunch of shitty dudes, but the people that were cheering for Spurs just didn't want to admit it? Yeah, no, without a doubt. Because if you look at the way they went about the season before, especially when they were playing some games at Wembley and yeah. matches had to be rescheduled to suit them. There was a there was an indication that they didn't care. In addition to that, I think they spent about almost like 300 million more than anticipated with that project. So mm-hmm. I think I think people knew they weren't a good club. And let's not forget um Mauricio Pochettino, the most successful um coach and I got to put in parentheses because he never really won anything. He wasn't given a proper team to compete. Every season, they, might, they will buy maybe one player that will keep them consistent. But he wasn't given two or three players that can make him go to the next level. So I think everyone knew that the ownership is not that good. And they're a selling club. Dimitri Berbatov, yeah. Garrett Bale, they always sell their stars. Look, they gave Erickson. away. Yeah, they basically gave Ericsson away. Ericsson. So, yeah, he's going soon. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, as the old adage goes, the fish rots from the head down. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this? I agree with Shane 100%. Um, I think that we do need to remember, though, that this is a very unprecedented time. 
Um, no, nobody has ever come across this type of situation. I think it was last century, early century, that we did see a pandemic similar to this. So the way clubs have reacted uh, have definitely shown their true colors. Um, Tottenham doing this at their time. I mean, clearly they made the right decision like Liverpool did in the end as well. But I think it took them a little longer to figure out that decision because they just built a stadium. They just built a brand new stadium. They have a lot of debt with that. So um, I know that definitely had an impact on the amount of time it took for them to come to an ultimate decision. Um, I read somewhere that Dan- Daniel Levy came to an ultimate decision last week, but it, it took them another week yeah. to figure out all their plans going forward. So um, definitely applaud them for making the right move in the end. Like Liverpool, obviously we wish that they made the right decision in the beginning, but um, ultimately the fans had the, uh, the right say. That's and that's uh, accurate and, and well said, and, and I applaud you for your point of view. Uh, let me throw another question at you, though, and this is more about the nature of what social media has become as not just the new journalism, but the new legislator. Um, do you think that it shows um, a lack of backbone or more a willingness to concede to the will of the people? that you can get bullied by social media into backing down from an unpopular stance? Um, I think it's a, I think it's a little bit of everything, to be honest, man. I think that a lot, I think of the two, the Fenway sports group and Daniel Levy, as well as some other uh, clubs like Bournemouth thought that most of the clubs were going to head in this direction. Uh, and they think they were a little bit caught off guard by, you know, art, the arsenals and the Chelsea's making the first move into saying, Hey, we're actually going to pay everybody and continue going with that way. Definitely the class move there. But um, let's not also not forget that Tottenham were the first team to allow the use of their stadium for the NHS. So definitely applaud them for that as well. It just yeah. shows that there's a major disconnect between the owners of the EPL and the owners of the NFL. There's, there, there's a profound disparity between those two cultures. Carl, Carl, yeah. if, I, if I may add something to what Andrew said, though. Sure, and, sure. And, and to your question. I don't think it's more bowing to pressure. I think it's managing your brand image. Mm-hmm. We got to yeah. remember, right? The launch of fan channels and the direct club to fan relationship that is being created through social media. If that is damaged, that is harder to repair than if it's not. So I think the clubs made a strategic decision that we're going to bite this bullet. Because if they don't, it's going to be terrible to, re- to repair their image. Mm-hmm. And in, in addition to that, if you lose public trust, whether it be true or not, that cannot be easily regained. So I think so. I think the clubs ran their analytics and figured out that even though it's going to cost us more money, we're going to eat this one. Can I can I follow up on a piggyback on Andrews? Uh, yes. Oh no! Well, let's just go. All to right, let's all just right, go to, yeah, because your thoughts. That that was going to be my point. So when are clubs supposed to take advantage of you know the capacity to lay off non-paying staff? that that ability is there and if they can't do it during you know a global pandemic when are they going to be able to do it uh it's the first person that bites and then there will be in my opinion a domino effect right which is exactly Uh, but it's going to be the first person that goes through the wall and they're going to get shit on for it but um paul the answer to that question is they cannot until until they, they cannot in my opinion they cannot and here's the reason right yeah yeah when when you look at the premier league the Premier League made an impressive $5.2 billion in revenue 2018-2019 thus far. The, the big clubs made approximately $3 billion of that $5.2 billion. What that tells us is there's enough money to go around until this pandemic is over. Because mm-hmm. even if this pandemic goes a year, the clubs have enough reserve funds, they have enough line of credits, and they could get enough loans to bring them through that period. So, so in my opinion, yeah. they cannot because if they do, you can't take advantage of government funds and then buy a fifty million dollars. Exactly. Plate. So that that's that I think is what this has showed us that they are are held to a different standard and a different level. And I agree, they absolutely should be, especially because when you look at the numbers uh, and the money that the layoffs save them, it's about two hundred and fifty thousand uh per non-playing staff yeah peanuts which you add that all up and it comes out to you know a few million so yeah 
I don't know. It's not really doing much. Here's, they absolutely should be paying, and I'm glad they are. So here's what the MLB does. Not a lot of people know this, but they have an emergency reserve account that's around $900 million that every team, every year, slices off a little bit of their revenue, and they put it into that fund. I'm sure, I'm sure that the EPL has that type of reservoir for emergencies as well. So I think I, well, you know what? Maybe that's an America thing. Maybe that's a strictly MLB thing, but I know that the MLB has that. It's kind of like the same thing that Wimbledon did where they put in, uh, you know, a couple mil per year for a pandemic uh, I, insurance policy. And now correct. they just made like 120 million out of it. Right. So, but Wimbledon's its own thing and that, and that's separate of other European entities, but MLB does do this. So if the EPL does not, I, I would hope they would stop yeah. now. It's going to be expensive. All right, so now. Let's go. Fuck let's yes, go to, it is. Let's yeah. go to Stevie. Let's go to Stevie. I got you. I got it. Let's go to Stevie. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, on this subject there, there's really two things I kind of want to talk about. The first thing is, just, just the idea, and, and Carlito, you said it, is like, like, how do we feel about Liverpool now Spurs kind of being like, quote unquote, bullied by the media and the internet to to overcome the decision? But you know what, we, we see that happen all the time in sports, just behind the scenes. Like, we we live in the social media era now, so mm-hmm. even when it's maybe maybe it's the team, maybe it's a, a, a you know a, a player's agent a coach, you know, anything like that, that make this leak stuff to the media to see what comes out on the other side. And like, I know with, with Liverpool situation, there's, there's quote unquote, you know, potential, like, you know, somebody like, you know, gave up confidential information and stuff like that. But we see it all the time that people use social media to their advantage. And I'm not going to rag on either one of these teams or any teams that like they make a decision, they see the public outroar and then change their mind. I have no problem with that. In my opinion, I think that's a smart thing to do. That's, that's taking all of your resources and making the most out of it. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is just FSG as a whole. Because, you know, FSG, me and Andrew were watching. For people, that, for people that don't know what FSG is, let them know. Oh, so FSG is Fenway Sports Group. It's the group that go. is the major, the majority ownership in Liverpool, majority ownership at, uh, for the Boston Red Sox. Also... They own the Boston Globe, which is a newspaper in Boston, part of the biggest newspaper in Boston. Now, with F- with FSG, as from a fan perspective, when it comes to putting the best product on the field, mo- most times, I would say 95% of the time, they have always gone out of the way to make sure that they put the best product on the field. One thing about them is they are a shady as fuck and kind of a scumbag fucking group of guys. And this is why. Boston, especially since about the year 2001, when, when the Patriots started winning, we won. We in, in the last 20 years, every single one of our major teams has won. Yeah. Okay, so like it's got like you can talk about championship seeding and all of that. They go out of their way to make any other team other than the Red Sox look like a piece of shit. So when I read all that stuff about doing the furlough and all that stuff, I really wasn't. I was disappointed, but I wasn't really surprised because it's right down their fucking alley. And that is literally FSG for you. Cause that, it, I, I look at everything that they've ever done and it, it just goes hand in hand with everything they've done since they've taken, taken over the Red Sox and the Boston Globe. Okay. So, well, to be fair, that culture started when John Henry hired Theo Epstein and then it really became all about the Red Sox. So one thing I want to say before we start, we're, we're going to conclude this segment. I will say this, the relationship between the fans and in particular fan channels and then the clubs that they represent has become increasingly and exponentially more hostile as social media and the reach of it mm-hmm. grows. If I were to play devil's advocate, I would, I would respect at least uh, maybe like the devil side of my brain would respect a club that would say, I don't give a fuck what you think about you social media trolls. This is a business and we're here to save the club. I would at least respect that. I wouldn't agree with it because these clubs do have enough money, but some one of these, whether it's a Senator, 
uh, in particular, a Democratic senator or some CEO of some major company, you should probably try at least one time to go the Republican congressman way where they say we are not quitting. Go to hell. Nobody on the Republican side ever gets fired. They never quit. Carl. So at least one time I want to see one of these major companies go, major teams go, I don't care what social media says, we're still going to do this and you're going to eat it. Now, I don't like it, but I would respect the backbone. Yeah, Carl, that, that, that would be problematic, though. No, I know it would be. Oh, of course it would be. That, that would be problematic. And, and the other thing is with these fan channels, right? Yeah. In particular, you could, yours. Yeah, especially Arsenal Fan TV. Those fan yes. channels are great, in my opinion. And here's why. Mm-hmm. If you look at the press release that Arsenal put out before anything was accepted, the first thing they highlighted were they're going to continue to pay non-playing staff until the end of May. In addition to that, they highlighted that they're going to pay them when they work those games. So they're essentially going to get paid twice for the value of the game they would have worked, which is great PR in this pandemic. Then they went on to add that executives are going to waive a portion of their salary. They're not going to waive their bonus. They're going to waive a portion of their salary. These executive bonuses are more than their salary. And the way Arsenal is trending is going to be more beneficial for them. So I use that to point out that the damage done by the fan channels actually hold these clubs accountable. Because before mm-hmm. the introduction of the fan channel, they would have gotten away with murder. No, no, you're right. And that's why I said Twitter and YouTube, they're actually the new journalism because they're a lot faster and they don't have to wait for editors. Uh, they Correct. can just post it. By the way, the bonuses being larger than salary, that's not exclusive to executives in football, Shane. That's common corporate culture. Yeah, but, but we're dealing with football in specific, yeah. so. No, no, I know, but I'm just saying in general, like that shit is very common. Uh, okay, so the second thing we're going to say, and this was one that I found was very interesting, because this was prior to Daniel Levy and uh, Dr. Creepy conceding and going back on their mandate to furlough non-playing staff. ESPN UK uh, had a couple people come on and say that if you are to furlough your staff during this, you should have transfer restrictions and financial restrictions during the next season. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I like the idea just because I feel like the people should be, you know, taking care. I mean, if the, if the premier league were to come down and say something like that, I would actually kind of be for it, you know, because again, you know, profit, pretty big profit margins for the most part for, for all the, all the owners. So they should be able to take care of their own. And you think that they would want to take care of their own, you know? It it, it, <laughs> it does come down to an image for the the league itself at, at some point. Um, so if they wanted to go that way, I'd actually be one hundred percent for it. Shane, make it quick. Yeah, um, I like to highlight a transfer is when a player who's under contract moves from one club to another. Right. And transfer occurs when clubs actually borrow that money to pay the transfer fee. It's not all paid in total, so right. they pay like a percentage up front, then the remainder. The fact that they furlough their staff would count negatively against them when trying to secure funds. Mm-hmm. So indirectly, it would have an impact on them, whether the Premier League or UEFA or anyone put restrictions in. So not furloughing staff would be the best thing to do because it shows a level of volatility that you don't want associated with your club. A hundred percent because it shows yeah, you can't well afford said. it. Correct. I mean, like, it's, let's be very clear. What Shane said is brilliant, and we are going to defer to him more often than not when it comes to finances within uh, this particular podcast because this is what he does for a living, and I fucking love him for it. But really, if you're furloughing your employees or you're firing them, it shows you're not financially secure, and that is terrible PR. So why the fuck would you do that? Why would you want to say to the public, I can't afford this? That's terrible PR. Stevie, what do you got? I just went for Shane. Okay, uh, Andrew, what do you got? Close this one out with Paul. Um, I mean, I, I completely agree with Shane 100%. I just think that some 100%. clubs definitely do need to furlough their their, their players, um, especially uh, maybe not Premier League clubs, but maybe clubs like Norwich who are probably going to get relegated anyway. Uh, but when you look at p- teams like uh, the championship clubs and even below that, they are forced to furlough their players. Um, and basically when they do, they, they're able to furlough their players right now because they're not playing. So basically the government is, 
is paying those salaries. But the bigger question is when the season does come back, uh, consideration needs to be taken into the championship level clubs and below, because if those players start to play again, the government no longer pays their salaries and those championship clubs take control of that salary payment. And there's reasons like that. If you don't have fans in the stadiums that those clubs mm-hmm. can go bust. I, uh, yes. I, Paul, what do you got? And for that reason, as well as the premier league cares about the product they're putting on the field, they want transfers to happen. They want big money transfers to happen. I don't, I, I don't, I couldn't imagine where the premier league would punish uh, the clubs for not, you know, falling in line and keeping their non-playing staff on. I'm wondering if they can mandate that or not. I don't know I, if they I can. Don't. Okay. All right. We're going to go to the next one. Uh, Europe's favorite owner, <laughs> Mike Ashley, our guy. Our boy. You human balloon animal. <laughs> you fat fuck. You, you sold Newcastle to Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Salman for 300 mil LBs. Brother man, take it away. Yeah, um, this mm-hmm. is long overdue. Yes. Um, as Carl highlighted in his brilliant introduction i don't think anyone likes mike ashley and that dislike comes from the fact that newcastle are a big club even though they haven't won a major trophy since approximately i think it's 68 69 there's only eight other english clubs that have more trophies than newcastle Mm -hmm. so that gives you an idea of how big of a club they are in addition to that newcastle's attendance averages over 50k per match Wow. Which is astonishing. Great stadium. Great exactly. Stadium. That's, that's, exactly. That's four thousand more than Chelsea. Uh, Dude, I mean, St James Park is, a, is literally is one of the class in the Premier League. It's not it's called so St James Park, Park anymore, though. It's called Sports Direct. That's one of the things yeah. they did. Exactly, and that's his um that's his company because he has a sports clothing company. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too, we got to remember that in '96 they also broke the transfer record for Alan Shearer, and in From? 2015. From um, um, Blackpool. 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 Thank you very much, Blackburn. Carl. Blackburn. Blackburn, okay. But yeah, it's Blackburn. <laughs> he, he stands corrected. And good, 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 Andrew, good wow. stuff. Good stuff. And in 2015, they also bought Wijnaldum and sold him for profit. So it's a clear indication of the type of player Newcastle can attract with the right ownership. The only con to them being taken over by the concierge with the Saudi prince and the um, financier. Um, I forgot what her name Elizabeth, is again. I think, I think it's um, yeah, yeah. She 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 actually was instrumental in the Man City takeover too. She seems to has a um a relationship mm-hmm. with the Saudis or anyone in the Middle East. I think it's Amanda she Stalvey. She, she's called Shane. Are you? Yeah, Shane. Yeah. Are you even remotely surprised that they went to the same well? Nope. No, 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 no. I'm not. But the and and, and that's another question that's going to come up later on. Is that even though Mike actually did not spend as he should or invest in the club, do we overlook the way that the Saudis conduct business? Do we overlook their ethical stance? Do we overlook the way they treat women, the way they have people who have exit visas to leave their country? So there's going to be a lot of mm-hmm. questions down the road associated with this takeover. Well, that's actually, I mean, if, I, if you guys don't mind if I, if I hop in here. Uh, Steve, Stevie, hop article. in. I, I read an article today that was literally saying that exact thing. Like, I, I saw a kid tweet out literally like an hour before this article dropped. He was like, this takeover is going to be too smoothly <laughs> for Newcastle. Like, you know what I mean? And I was like, and I was like, you know what? This kid is 100% right. Like, the, like something always happens. And then literally, like, no lie, an hour later, I see takeover being like put on hold because of like human rights issues with this Saudi, <laughs> with the Saudi group. Yep. Like they like they, they have some sort of human rights like thing I in mean, their past. I don't no, know what it is. Look I don't no know further than what the, the details are of a uh, journalist not too long ago. <laughs> right, yep. right. But again, but yeah, I mean, but again, right, like, I don't right, know right. if they were, you know, I mean, obviously I don't know if they're directly involved in all that stuff, but I mean, let's just say it does go through and they, and they do get this ownership. I mean, not only just for Newcastle, mm-hmm. but just for the Premier League in general. I mean, like, holy crap. I mean, this this is one of those teams that, even more so than Leicester, in my opinion, like, they have such a great opportunity. Like, like I would, like, 
now if, if they have the financial backing, like Newcastle could almost mm-hmm. do what, what Man City did, where there was completely unknown, and, and maybe even Chelsea in the early 2000s, and Abramovich comes in, all of a sudden, flip of the switch, like they are, I mean, they're right in London, great stadium, a huge crowd, and honestly, one of the best crowds in the Premier League too. Uh, Andrew, what do you got? Uh, Mike Ashley's story is really interesting because from a business standpoint, the guy's basically a, a genius a god. Yeah. He, He's a uh, genius. he basically took, he pulled a Donald Trump and took a 10,000 pound loan from his parents and turned it into a billion dollar sports franchise. So, yeah. I mean, applaud him for that, but I've read articles about him. Um, he basically bought this club to make money off of it. Not mm-hmm. because he loves football, not because he loves the fans or any standpoint like that. Um, and another worthy mention here, he grew up a Chelsea fan, so I think this all is starting to make sense. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, it cannot be overstated that altruism and billionaireism, those things do not go hand in hand quite often, but they do with the Chelsea. That's right. Paul, what do you Roman think? showing incredible class during this whole period. Can't let that go unsaid. Um, oh, the best. The, the best yeah, we're talking about Newcastle. We're talking about Newcastle. Yeah, no, I mean, for side, lots of money, deep pockets. There, I, you know, I don't know if there's anybody else they'd wanted uh, to own their team right now coming off of that god-awful uh, Mike Ashley spell they had being relegated two times under him. Um, but that being said, I would love to see them bring Rafa Benitez back and make a go of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like that's going to be like the first move Amazing. to try to bring him back. But you can't, you can't forget one key crucial element about Newcastle. They had one of the best soccer players of all time. He may have yeah. been fictional, but Santi Carzola. I mean, Santi, Santiago Munez. Santiago Munez. It's one my of boy. the best fictional Santiago. characters of all time. Santiago. Santiago is my boy. Oh, my God. When, when, when he, scored, he, he scores the goal at the end, and then he's like, he, has, he, has the, he looks up to the sky and just goes, <laughs> That's the best. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, but- Santiago Munez. Shout out to you, man. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's legend, keep it dude. going. So Shane, uh, you're going to be the predominant voice in this section. Now I'm going to read a little bit and then I'd like for you to provide a proper explanation for what's going on here. And that is really the financial well-being of the premier league clubs. So including, and this one I find to be quite telling sky sports, they're not going to be asking for a refund or at least, that's what they come out with a public statement. It says apart from Sky's 371 million, another 341 million would have to be paid back to overseas broadcasters. But it is understood that though there are some companies who demand the money back, many have indicated a willingness to negotiate a settlement. Yeah. Um, so the first part of your question, I'll address that first. Okay. Um, Sky Sports not asking back for their money gives them considerable leverage going forward. Yeah, correct. correct. And and th- that that's going to be my first point, right? Extending the current rights beyond this current season until possibly the end of 2022, 23, maybe 24, allows Skies to get their their TV deal at a discount. A discount that would also award them extra games and Sky and BT has a partnership. So what it does, it would allow them to get games from Monday to Friday mm. and the weekend which would increase their viewership internationally, which is where most people watch the Premier League. We also got to keep in mind that Premier League games are often rescheduled because of TV. Most of those games that are 3 p.m. in America are are afternoon, border night games in England, which means fans are getting home at 11 midnight after going to a game. So it's really done for us, the international audience, and done to suit Sky. So Mm -hmm. them deciding that they're going to take one for the Premier League is not surprising because they call a lot of shots behind the scenes with the TV. Um, The other thing that we need to highlight is the Premier League is going to resume this season. And we spoke about that on on our last podcast. And the idea is it'll be behind closed doors. If it's behind closed doors, this will give Sky 
BT and other broadcasters the opportunity to add different segments to their shows. They could have like mm-hmm. like fan check-ins, as you mentioned, or something similar to what they do in um, NBC Sports does in America with the with the visit different cities and have fans and create a whole live atmosphere. So yeah. that would give them again additional viewage and money. So I can totally understand why Sky would not ask for that money back because it gives them more leverage in negotiation and it can increase their revenue considerably going forward. Yeah, but those types of addendums that they're going to add to the contract, those seem like they're temporary. Correct. And those temporary addendums would give them more revenue than for them asking for the money to be paid back. Plus, obviously, more leverage going forward. This is like being extremely good, nice, visit the parents, all that shit at the beginning of a relationship and building up so much cachet and reservoir of goodwill. Then when it comes down to you asking the girl to do something that's a questionable sexual practice, you have all of that fucking cachet to say, hey, look how great I was at the beginning of the relationship. Now you're gonna, you know, do the damn thing. All right, that Paul. sounds like that sounds like it's happened to you a, a couple times, huh? Yeah, Too and, many and, times. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's how I operate, dog. It's how I operate. Sure. That's why and, things and, never end well. And and, and, for, and, and, and being a peacoats. And, and for our, <laughs> yeah, a good one. For our audience who um who did not like Carl's X-rated um example, it would just enhance the long-term relationship with the broadcaster and the Premier League. Sure. Andrew, what do you got? <laughs> uh, honestly, man, I think Shane summed that up perfectly. I'll, I'll I just, love it. I'll just add that this thing doesn't come down to clubs being concerned about the virus. It doesn't come down to, you know, the clubs being concerned about players or mm-hmm, fans. Mm-hmm. It comes down to money and it comes down to broadcasting revenues and the fact that sky is doing this it makes them look good right now but they're going to put the hammer yep. down on the clubs later on so i mean this is this is what it is it is what it is steve yeah same thing i don't want to get too deep into it i think shane shane's the uh you know the expert on this matter but of course. i mean when it, when it when it comes down to it, how I see it is, you know, Sky Sports is looking out for their long term relationship with the Premier League. You know, for them, uh, uh, you know, I, they're definitely going to take a hit this year, not asking for a refund for sure. Mm-hmm. But the 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 Premier League is going to remember that. You know what I mean? So like that that's going to help them in negotiations long term for for European uh, European you know television and reporting rights. This well, this is basically the equivalent of a mob boss going up to a struggling restaurant. Exactly, dude. It's a shakedown. It's a shakedown. It's saying, "Hey, man, let me uh, let me help you out with all of your loans, all of your outstanding debt." And you know, the owner of the restaurant says to him, "What do I owe you?" And the mob boss goes, "Nothing, nothing. You don't owe me anything." And when I do need something, I'll call you. That's what this is. Oh, because 100%. that fucking phone call is coming. And guess what? You're going to have to say yes. Because, oh, yeah, because that this is nothing more than a European massive financial mm-hmm. favor. This is oh, a favor. No, no, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Can, can you imagine if, if they went with somebody else nope. other than Sky Sports? I don't know what the other options are out there. But they went, they went with someone else other than Sky Sports. Literally the next day. They would have Sky Sports would be in a, a, the biggest newspaper saying, "Yeah, uh, we they fucked us for like three hundred million dollars, four hundred million dollars." You know what I mean? And then that would make them look so bad. So yep. exactly. So it, it's from, in my opinion, it's all just a tactical move by Sky Sports. Good for them for taking the hit right now because it's going to pay dividends in the long run. Yeah, no, Paul, you guys just summed it up well. Uh, they are now the favorite of the Premier League as far as broadcasters go. For oh, sure. yeah. Right, oh, so for sure. Two other things I just want to point out. Number one, Shane made a brilliant point about the fact that this is not about uh, television watchers in the UK. The UK no. is small potatoes. This is about everyone else, especially everyone else west of the UK. Damn, dude, that that's the point, dude. That is the point because you right now, even even to this day, it's still a growing market for the Premier League because, I mean, all of us have been watching it for at, at the very minimum ten years, and I, I know I've been watching it for about fifteen years, but yeah. we've all been trying to whether it's YouTube clips or whatever it is, we have been 
dying mm-hmm. for this, you know, this information. And there's still so many people that are just bandwagon fans and stuff like that and still kind of learning how freaking awesome this league is. Like, the, like the, whatever they're making right now, four years from now, I wouldn't be surprised if it's doubled. Oh, even more. They're making, they're making local and regional, uh, you know, fandom and all that stuff. They're making it global. And, I mean, that's, that's the key. The last thing I'll say to this, anybody that's in a massive executive role, in order to get into that role, unless you were born into it, you have to care about the bottom line first more than anything else. So for this to be about money, first and foremost, of course it is. That's how the, these guys got their jobs. Okay, that's period, yep. full stop. Okay, uh, so now we're going to move on to our fourth and final segment before our closing thoughts. Players are being told to prepare to play. Now, this is very interesting. Premier League is making plans by sending a series of emails to clubs with guidelines on how to prepare their players for a return to action. Players have reportedly been told to keep to an off-season regimen, you know, fitness regimen, until May the 4th and will be provided with new plans from May 5th to up their fitness levels akin to the increased pace of the preseason. Expect a return to group training by the end of the month. Be ready to resume football activities at a 48-hour notice. Now, before I, you know, ask all of you what you think, I will say this. If they can't stay in shape, they don't deserve to be paid. That is my take on this. They can hit the fucking gym that they have because they're all getting paid enough money to have a home gym. If they don't have one, that's very irresponsible of them as professional sportsmen. They can go for an eight-mile run. They can juggle. They can shoot on their goal. They can do at least the bare minimum required of any athlete worth their salt. If they show up fat, if they show up out of shape, shame on them. And Carlito, are you talking to us or are you talking to Eden Hazard? We are talking. <laughs> Good one. So here's the thing. Here's the thing with Ed Hazard, and I, I love the interjection. Fat Ed Hazard never took training seriously. He always thought that he could just play his way into shape, and he was so fucking good and so dazzling and so wonderful and one of the best players I've ever seen in my life that he could just do it all based on his intuition and his foot skills. But guess what? He's 29. Guess what happens when you're 29? If you don't go to the gym, you get fatter, dog. When you have a bad diet, you get fatter, dog. Too many buns. No, just, just, just the juiciest of buns, baby. And you know what? He's fat as a house, and I do not feel bad for him at all. Chelsea moved on him at the perfect time because when he was 28 for Chelsea, he had the best season he's ever had as a professional, and now he's horrible. Breathe. So go breathe, fuck breathe. yourself. Go oh. fuck yourself, Ed Nazar. Now, Who's up? brother man, give me one of those ventilators. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> So I I think this request and timeline that Carl highlighted is reasonable. Um, let's keep in mind these players are professionals. As Carl said, they get paid a lot of money, and playing football is their job. As long as the conditions they're playing under are safe, I have no problem with the timeline for the Premier League resuming. Well, most of them professionals, except for Mateo can't do He's not. Andrew, what do you got? Yeah, I'm actually glad this topic got brought up. So uh, I was one of the first, I'll call myself a nice Paul, uh, pioneer here, that uh, said that the league right, actually will be extended. So I applaud myself for that. But um, Good job. Good Andrew. job, Andrew. Pat Good on the back. Job, it actually Andrew. all started with the Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2 saying that they're going to resume play in early May. And I think the Premier League leaders have looked at that and said, oh, maybe maybe we can do that as well. So I've heard that they're going to um, start preseason for the extended season in mid-May to late May with the hopes of the season starting again in early June to mid-June. There was one proposal made that would be uh, 56 days for the league to finish. So that's roughly eight weeks. That would take us to the end of July, maybe early August. The players would have maybe a one to two week break and then they would jump right into the either the new season. Maybe the new season would be pushed back a couple of weeks. But the big issue with that with a lot of the teams is that there are a lot of June 30th contracts that are up. Mm. I think it's something around 80 players throughout the league are going to be free agents at the end of June. 
So uh, FIFA actually did come out and say that clubs can extend uh, those contracts if they would like to. Um, but the issue with that is under English law, there may be some legal issues. So it's kind of up in the air at the moment where that goes. It would be pretty brutal to finish up these nine games and maybe halfway through uh, a team like maybe Norwich City or Newcastle have about four to five players just up and leave. Yeah, and that's fine. And, you know, we've been talking about social media and the pressures that come with them convincing themselves that they're the new media. And in many ways they are Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, what have you. These players, these they're all millennials, even if they're you know in their early 30s. They're all millennials. They all give a shit about what other people think about them. They all give a shit about their own individual brand. And if they were to just up and leave, they would get killed for it. And honestly, honestly, if they up and left, I bet they'd lose some sponsors. Like it would get that hellacious if you were just were all of a sudden going to quit on your team just because your contract is up in June and you can't just adapt and go with the flow and roll with the punches like everybody else in the world is being asked and requested to do. If you can't sack up and say, yeah, I'll play for three or four more weeks. Fuck it. Why not? I love football and I get paid handsomely for it. If you can't do that, Fuck you. It all comes down to money, though, man. Yep. It's all money. Yep. But you know what? They've already made that money. Shane, what do you got? Um, I actually kicked this one off, so I'll punt to um, Paul right here. Paul, Go. What's, your, Go. what's your thoughts on this? First of all, Andrew, great answer in addition to that. Uh, well done for that one. I would just <laughs> say um, I would love to see a player – go against the grain on this one and decide to leave their club in June. I would love to see it just to see what would happen and how people would handle it. <laughs> Honestly, some of these Norwich guys, there's, you know, they're not going anywhere. They're probably not staying in the Prem, unfortunately. A lot of them are talented and have big club suitors. I would love to see it. But Yeah, but don't you think that those suitors for Cantwell and Pookie would still be there in August? Absolutely, but I, I just think it would be a, a, a cool narrative, a, a fun narrative, maybe not for Norwich and their fans, but it would be interesting to see how I think handle. that any any team that you join would deem what they had done to be unsporting behavior. That would that would be the thing. They probably wouldn't be, be allowed by the I mean you'd be you would you would be Yeah, Carl's right, your reputation would be yeah, tarnished. It, it would just you would it would be just such a bad look. That you try to be boys with some of your new teammates, and the new teammates would be like, "You fucking quit on your club." What happens when the going gets tough? You're gonna quit on our club. You're gonna quit on our club if this Rona comes. It's back? something. It's something. It's something Paul Pogba would do. I think. Dude, oh, there we go. Oh. Oh. Dude, 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 don't. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 don't. No, that was don't. For Shane. That just, was for Shane. no, just that don't. Was bring, just don't bring in it. Don't bring in it. That was a joke. That was a joke for this group. We were having a great, we were having a really fun conversation. Until right. Shane just yeah. got self-inflicted Rona. He's hyperventilating. <laughs> oh my god! All right, let, let, I, I, let me get us back I just, on track. Shout out, shout out to my man Paul Pogba. Please subscribe. That's it. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I'm on right, Shane's right. side. For what, I will say this: I love Paul Pogba as a player. I hate his agent, and I also think he's faking an injury. Stevie, what do you got? I think honestly, I think you guys kind of, kind of covered the entire thing. I, I I feel good about everything you guys said. Let's just get into the closing thoughts. Hold on, here. hold on. Let me let me finish my thought here. The one thing I will say: all these Chelsea players that have been injured, if they have not been doing what they're supposed to, and their off-season regimen that they're supposed to be following right now, is healthy. Um, Christian Pulisic. Ah, uh, Christian Pulisic. Uh, get off the that's app Adore. and. Train, get bigger, get stronger, train. Yeah. This self-promotion that Christian Pulisic has done on TikTok, American. on Instagram, hey. on Ask Me Anything. Brother, it's American. Brother, I don't give a fuck if he's American. He hasn't lived in America for like 10 years. I don't care. You know what, dude? You haven't played for five months. Stop self-promoting. Get your ass in the gym and earn your goddamn paycheck because guess what, dude? You're a starter, and you're not just one of the most interesting players on Chelsea. You're the best player our country has. Get your ass off fucking social media and get your ass in the gym. I'm tired of looking at you until you start scoring goals again, goddammit. 
All right, let's go to Steven. No, like I said, I think you guys covered uh, the closing I think thoughts. You got, yeah, yeah. yeah, let's get into closing thoughts. All right. All right, yeah, so, with you. All right. So, all right, so I'll go first. So, I mean, we, I just have an announcement to make for the entire group. So, obviously, we got Carlito and we got Paulinho. You know, they have been crushing it with uh, London is Calling podcast. Huge following on that side. Uh, Shane has been bringing so much value for on the Arsenal side, but also financials and just he has such a great knowledge of the of the freaking game from the from the technical side of things. Mm-hmm. Like hear him talk, amazing. Me and Andrew, diehard Liverpool fans. You know he got me into the team 15 years ago, and you know we know all the ins and outs of Liverpool. What's awesome about what we're about to do? All of us have been college teammates. We're coming under one roof. And it's about time that all of us just kind of unite and we all just start, you know, putting all this together. So with that being said, I, I do want to announce that we are now all under one group. And that one group name is Mat- Match Tracker Media. So all of our podcasts and we're going to start blogging as of this weekend. You'll be able to find everything right on one site. London is Calling, The Yanks of the Cop, Footy Weekly. Our blog, and then these fun Rona podcasts that we've been doing. I'm sure Shane will get a big following really quick. Start something, start something up for Arsenal, and for everyone else out there, rest assured, we will not talk about United at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, Never! no one fucking cares about them. No one cares. <laughs> no, hey, th- but we're excited. Yeah, thank you, Steve, and yeah, we're all stoked. We've been friends for a decade and a half. And this is a long time coming. Everybody is all finally getting along, a.k.a. I'm getting along with everybody else. So that is great. Um, yep. I'm going to start with my closing thought. And it's going to be something that most Chelsea fans won't agree with because they don't understand. But N'Golo Conte, I, I, I agree uh, by the you. way, Stephen does and so does Andrew. Uh, and I think so does Paul. Uh, Shane does not. Uh, N'Golo Conte... Uh, when he came onto the scene, I think he was bought for five mil by Leicester, and then we ended up buying him for around twenty-five million. He was an unbelievable ball winner. Uh, he was singular in the way that he did his job. No one else was even close to what he could do uh, defensively uh, on the counter and work rate. You know, intuition in ball interception, uh, really, really good at spacing. And then, uh, you know, overall, positioning up until this point has been exponentially stellar. Uh, he's honestly a player like we've never seen before. Although, I mean, Makalele was great. You know, um, SEN was great. Fucking Vieira was great. But this guy, he was just unique in his own way, right? But the problem is that all of that aggressive play, that tireless running, it does make it seem like one player is playing a season and a half. And it's very similar to Russell Westbrook when he was at the tail end of his Oklahoma City Thunder career. I knew that that shit was going to catch up with him and that that contract was going to be really poor, right? When he got to turn about 29, joints, muscles, everything was going to start breaking down. And it hasn't yet for Westbrook. He's actually had a really good year, but with Conte, he's had the worst year of his premier league career. He's been injured five times. He's been barely on the field and outside of one Liverpool game, he's performed uh, at least two par or subpar. And a lot of teams outside of the premier league still rate him. You notice that no team in the premier league is bidding for him, but Paris Saint-Germain, Barcelona and Real Madrid are all bidding for him. And I think that there's going to come a time where Chelsea fans will eventually see what I see and what the board sees and what Frank Lampard sees with Conte, and that is he's past his prime. He doesn't fit for what Chelsea wants to do as a progressive, modern, attacking, possession-based team. His skill set does not fit that. We play a triangle mid. And every time he gets the ball, it simply looks awkward. He's unsophisticated as a footballer. He's not skilled enough. His passing range is not good enough. And his passing is not quick enough. 
You notice why Man City always swarms him when we play them because they know he will cough up the ball. He doesn't know what to do under high-pressure situations. It's not his thing. He's never been asked to do that before. But Frank Lampard, and it actually started last year with Mauricio. Sorry, we're asking him to do that, and he can't do it. It's not his thing. It's not his skill set. So Barcelona is one of the many people that are asking for Conte and in return with Barcelona, there could be this swap deal where we would get Philip Coutinho and forty million, and they would get N'Golo Conte, which I find laughable. If they're trying to That's replace, so laughable. If they're trying to replace <laughs> Sergio Busquets, Sergio Busquets, the best pivot player of the past twelve years, and they're replacing him with a guy that can't pass. That's hilarious to me. But Barcelona wants to do it. If, if what I'm reading correctly, and it may be bullshit, but this is the smoke. If there is fire to it, good. But I do want Philippe Coutinho, and I no longer want N'Golo Conte. N'Golo Conte wants to stay at Chelsea. But he says, if I am asked to leave by the board, and by Frank Lampard, and by Roman, I will leave. This is not N'Golo Conte pushing the move, like has been said the past year and a half. This is Chelsea pushing the move. And you know what? I'm here for it. I like N'Golo Conte. I don't love him. I've never loved him. Don't ever tell me that I've been a fan of him. I have not been. And I can't wait for him to move on because it opens up very, very interesting possibilities for what our midfield can become. That is my final thought. Sell N'Golo Conte at all costs. (laughs) Well said. Shame. All right. um, First, let me highlight Stephen. Um, Great soliloquy. I just want our fans to know that this podcast slash media group has grown organically. What we have is organic chemistry, and that cannot be created. As Carl highlighted, we've known each other for a number of years, and we're taking our podcasts and business acumen to the next level, which is in connection with the age we're at. We're at an age where we are taking business decisions and taking business risk and yes. betting on ourselves. So great announcement, Stephen, and I hope you guys will subscribe to our Twitter Instagram, and possibly we get a Twitch page. We can do some live things um, from now and again. Wow, Twitch! Love yeah. it. Yeah, we got we got, we got to go next level. Oh, um, <laughs> um, World Cup winner Angola Kante, who's one of my favorite players, not because of his on-field activity, but also his off-field activity. He's a certified accountant. He did the uh, ACCA, which is the American the equivalent to a CPA in America. Smart guy, drives a Mini Cooper. He's a Muslim, always wears a great smile, good character. Um, with him leaving Chelsea, I can understand that. Chelsea has changed the way they play. Lampard is going for more dynamic style. And Kante in a team like Barcelona could be dangerous because his job would be pretty simple. Win the ball and make a five-yard pass, which is what he's good at. We saw in the World Cup when he played for France, he was very effective winning the ball back playing it to Matuidi Pogba. So going to Barcelona could extend his career another four or five years. For my closing thoughts, I'd like to focus on Arsenal and the role Mikel Arteta and Hector Bellerin, who is a player's representative to the Football Association, has taken in this um, um, pay cut that was suggested. It's well documented I'm not a fan of Stan Kroenke and Kroenke Sports Entertainment. However, in this case, I'd like to commend the Arsenal players for ensuring that Kroenke bears his fair share of the financial burden related to the coronavirus pandemic. The players have, um, according to David Ornstein, accepted a 12.5% cut for the next year. And the board has also accepted a 30% cut for the next year. And they've done this because Stan Kroenke and Kroenke Sports Entertainment has committed to covering all other expenses and not laying off any staff during this period. Which is, which is great, right? Because we all know most of the players on Arsenal are very marketable. They're all millionaires. And taking a picket for one year is not going to affect them. In addition to that, it has been said that players like Mesut Ozil, um, Granit Xhaka, Aubameyang, has taken more than the 12% to allow players like Saka, Maitland, etc. to get most of their income. So this is great on the players in holding Kroenke accountable and making sure he doesn't escape any financial burden caused by the pandemic. Um, my final thought is Kroenke has also promised to invest in Arsenal personally hmm. to fund transfers and make sure we're competitive for the next season. And this is why I think Mikel Arteta stepped in 
because he got assurances from Conky that he would take care of that. And Arteta's job was to galvanize the players and make sure that they'll take that 12.5%. And I think that's a compromise that's worth it. So what you're saying is Arteta is a culture setter. Correct. And, and Carl, that's a very important point. Mikel Arteta is in his first few months as Arsenal boss, and it is imperative that he set the culture, as we highlighted in our last podcast, which Unai Emery cannot do because he sucks and is not a good coach. <laughs> I love it. By, set, by, by setting the culture like Jurgen Klopp did at Liverpool, where even though players weren't good enough, he'd put an arm around them and tell them, you're not good enough, but I'm going to work with you until you got better. It shows that no one is being benched, per se. Everyone's included, but we will move on from you if better players present themselves. And Arteta is doing a great job of that. Great stuff. Shane, I know we're running up on time, but uh, is that 12.5% contingent on Champions League, or is it just overall? It is not. It's just a 12.5% 12-month cut. Yep. Yeah, I remember Champions League might have been involved. With with Kroenke, I hope Arteta got that in writing. (laughs) Uh, Andrew, what do you got? Uh, Yeah, so I have three things to add as my closing statements. I'll try to make it quick. Uh, Number one, Stephen highlighted the, the blog and the media group, which is great. Um, hopefully we can launch that this weekend or early next week. The URL for that is going to be matchtrackersmedia.com. Uh, match so you'll be able to find us there. Um, also, I wanted to mention, uh, number one, Liverpool wage deferrals. They had two video calls with senior uh, players and top executives this week. They discussed potential finances if the season ended. And, you know, obviously, if no broadcast revenue was accepted for them um, and the players were open to wage deferrals. So no actual uh, agreement was made, but conversations are going on with Liverpool and their players and the top executives. That's number one. And uh, number two, uh, from a transfer standpoint, uh, I don't know, we didn't really cover it on this particular podcast episode, but I expect much lower activity and for much lower uh, dollar amounts. I know Liverpool are hev- heavily invested and interested in Timo Warner. Um, Lee Jurgen Klopp has at least planned a conversation with him via Skype or whatever method that he uses um, until uh, Liverpool are actually halting uh, transfer talks until a decision is made on the continuation of football, which should be made tomorrow. Uh, Premier League leaders from each club are going to be meeting tomorrow morning, so we should have a further update as to what's going on from here on out. And finally, um, I think the transfer news is, is huge for guys like uh, Jordan Shakiri and Dayan Lovren at Liverpool because they may be, uh, Liverpool may have to offer them off or out for lower fees. So Liverpool may just say, you know what, let's just keep them for another season. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jordan Shakiri. I would love to have him stay for another year. So this could be good news for people like me. And Andrew, one last thing. Shakiri, the Alpine Messi, is a fantastic player. Love Shaq. Love him. Great player. He's great. But he shouldn't he shouldn't go for a low fee. He needs to go for like twenty five million. No, and I don't think people would take it that yeah, much right now. Right. Now. Yep. right. Paul. All right. So as far as the latest and greatest with Chelsea transfer news, or should I say rumors, Felipe Coutinho absolutely being linked to the club. The latest with him. Uh, Jody Morris, Tammy Abraham, and Ross the Boss Barkley. Liking Coutinho's latest post on the gram. I'm all about this, building the chemistry, making him feel good about coming to the bridge, coming to London. Uh, I like where this is going. There's lots of smoke on this one. The deal Mm -hmm. is just a matter of time before it gets done. Just light that match, baby. All right. Well, I feel like a like on Instagram is the new dick pic or something. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, yeah, Tammy Abraham, send that hog, baby. Let him know. Let him know who's the boss. Um, all right. Well, this has been fucking excellent. Uh, I'm exhausted, and I am very, very satisfied with the way this went. Certainly the best podcast I've ever been on. Uh, you guys were exceptional, uh, each in your own way you contributed and you were valuable and you put in the time and the effort. And I wanted to say thank you because this was great. And this is, you know, 
this is only the beginning. We're only going to get better at this. We're very smart. We're very capable. And right now we're very motivated. This is going to work. This is going to get bigger. This is going to get better. And I'm fucking stoked. So with that being said, thank you, y'all. This has been great. And I'll catch you this side of the other, as Ben Affleck would say in the town. See you, fellas. Peace.